0: progress lisa how are you
1: (laughs) i'm very well thank you mark how are you doing
0: amazing i am yeah so the purpose of today's podcast is a a bit of a catch-up um really to catch up on where we are with our november challenge um and then also sort of a bit of in other news what else has been happening and uh, any other discussions there's lots of subject points we were just talking before we press record your november challenge remind us what it was and how you're getting on
1: I knew you'd ask me first, Mark. So we both have had this 30 days, a word a day. You're going to write, um, you're going to draw for 30 minutes or sketch based on that word. And you've submitted your 15 words and i submitted mine. And I'm going to write for 15 or 30 minutes based on that word. Um, and we, that was one of our challenges. Our other one was health related. So I was doing my one minute cold showers um, and you were doing carnivore. So there's kind of a double edged sword. And I'll be completely honest and say I have ethically failed in the writing challenge but well, what I've done is I've turned it on its head so for the first 10 days I was in I was writing every night I'd come home and go right I probably did a bit a bit like you and I we did catch up and go I'm, I'm too down I need to do two in one day so we did a bit of that We didn't write until about day 10 and then work has just been mental so I've come home and gone I don't want to write anything so what I've tried to do and I know it's a bit of a reverse psychology is integrate the word into anything I write during the day <laughs> I've been doing like if I'm writing a piece of work I've actually been writing lots of stories at the moment For we're doing a sdk cookbook and so people have submitted narratives and stories and I've had to rewrite them as um, chief scribe on the piece so I've kind of been writing a lot so I've every day I've gone like what's the word of the day maybe I can just integrate it and use it another yeah. way
0: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> what what about yours mark show me all your beautiful sketches and drawings
0: do you know it is seen- and this uh, again we were just discussing before we came to this podcast um life's what's been happening in, in our lives right now and I think that with so much happening a bit like you I've fallen a bit behind on my daily challenge um the the diet side has been fine that's quite easy to sort out but the the sketching side my challenge was to do a sketch one a day um, for 30 minutes um it's part of what I do most days anyway sketching but I wanted this to be related to obviously what we what we've been discussing at now sort of word of the day um, and so I'm probably a bit behind you in the fact I probably only achieved about seven sketches, and we should be on. We're now mid-November, so I should have t- double that. And I, I went through a time war to try and double up, but I was really struggling with that too.
1: What I do like, though, Mark, is that we both reached a point where about five or six days in, we'd message each other and say, "I'm a little bit behind, but I am <laughs> going to do an additional health challenge." <laughs> yeah. So we kind of we we go, "Well, I can't do that challenge. I'll bring in another one." So I started doing. I mean, I was doing the cold showers anyway, and that like yeah. your health challenge in your carnivore the cold showers have been fantastic and um, there's been a couple of times that we've been to the beach on the weekend and normally I'm the one that's like oh it's too cold <laughs> for me I'm straight in there so the cold showers are brilliant I love them the mental strength that it takes after a gym session to turn that cold shower as high as it will go and switch to the hot off. Um, the cold showers are brilliant but again they take a minute's time whereas the writing yeah. takes a bit longer so we both kind of went what else can we do so yeah. you've kind of layered in more challenges. Let's do intermittent fasting as well. What more can we do to kind of counteract the failure? Yeah, so
0: that is that we've done you know? You've added in fasting.
1: Yeah, intermittent fasting. So I probably only yeah. do it the days that I'm actually in the studio rather than the weekends. But do you know what? I've done it loads of times before. I just do like 16-8 or 10-14 yeah. where you kind of, you just don't eat for a period of time and then you skip breakfast and then you have yeah. like a late lunch. I, I've done it loads before. I just, I forget how good it makes you feel yeah, until I do it Um, because you just don't have to one you don't have to think about eating um, which is kind of nice and then you do just you just feel good like it's a really you just feel better
0: so with that combined with the cold showers you must be feeling on top of the world right now
1: yeah I've woken up with a bit of a cold and a sniffle the last few days but I don't think it's necessarily shower related what about you with carnivore How's carnival,
0: Mark? Yeah, really good. Really good. I remember this, uh, and I've uh, the last few years having sort of done the carnival diet, I uh, haven't done it a few times. There are certain stages in the process, and the sort of let's say the 30 days or f- four or five weeks that you do it. The first couple of weeks are the, the biggest challenge because you have cravings, big cravings. And especially when you finish work and everything's sort of settled in the evening, kids are in bed and everything else, you do start to crave something, sometimes sugary. Um, and so, you have to try and just get over that challenge. You know, I've been drinking, this sounds really poncy, but hot water. I mean, anyone that, to my mind, should be drinking hot water in an evening sounds a bit damning, but it works. It helps to alleviate the panga pangs.
1: The, the Chinese um, people would love you for that. So, warm <laughs> water is better for you to drink than cold water. It's better yeah. for your system. It tricks well, it's,
0: your it's mind. Of, it? it's, yeah, it's kind of rather than drinking, so sort of like a cup of tea, which I wouldn't normally drink in an evening time. Um, but no, really good. Um, So the positives are um, you have no bloatedness whatsoever. I certainly I don't because I'm only eating meat and the quality of meat. I try to make sure it's good quality meat. So quite high fat content. So let's say it's not necessarily lean mince, beef mince. It's generally sort of 15, 20% plus in fat, which I'd normally avoid, but obviously knowing that your body's fat adapting rather than to relying on carbohydrates for its source of energy. Um, So using fats, um, and so you have to make sure that the foods you're eating are have high enough fat content, which in normal, normal cases you try and avoid. Um, so that's quite good. It does the kitchen because of all the building work we've got going on. Our kitchen is in the living room right now, so I've built up a little sort of. I've got a little kitchen kitchenette area, and the, the living room stinks of bacon and steak <laughs> and oils. Um, and the dog's loving it. He's sniffing around there. Living the whole time um
1: we, we but, should apologize to any potential vegan listeners who ever listened to yes I know, well this is the right point. Now was,
0: so. it's a really good point because I was discussing I've a lot of I've got a, one of the agencies I'm working with at the moment in the states um a lot of the designers there are vegan or vegetarian <laughs> and so I am saying guys I, I might tell you honest I'm missing eating vegetables I'm seeing sort of you guys discussing the benefits of your your diet that you're doing and uh, or the way, you, way in which you eat and so, yeah, I do miss green foods, if I'm honest. Carnival is quite a lazy diet, if I'm honest. You, you, it's a it's restrictive probably, diet.
1: It's an easy thing to do because you don't have to, th- again, you don't have to think about food. You've only got certain things that you can and can't have. And I think it's like, I, remember, I mean, you would be in ketosis because you're doing um, carnivore as well because there's no carbohydrates in most of the meats that you're eating. But I do remember once you learn what you can and can't have, it's so easy. Because you don't have to question all the things that you like. Do I eat the biscuit? No, I don't eat the yeah. biscuit. Once, you, once you've learned it, I think to cycle it, because you've done it before, you know what you can and can't have. You know what your go are. far. Um, then it just makes it a lot easier. And I, I guess, you know what, it's whatever you're doing. I guess when you're vegan, you know what you can and can't have.
0: And every year that I've been doing this, and you do start to appreciate the fact that what you're doing is going against the grain of the sort of the world's ethics. And it... I kind of feel a little bit guilty that say, yeah, this is what I'm doing. But knowing full well that it, obviously following the the carnivore diet, I will sort of start to resume some form of normality in the way foods that I eat, so that a better balance. But again, I know and I understand that my energy sources do derive from meat-related products in normal life anyway. So, but knowing that there is a balance that needs to be made.
1: I think it's a good, it's a good challenge. It's a good challenge and a question of health, isn't it? So, like, i I until about five or six years ago, i never, well, until two years ago, I'd never eaten bacon, and I'd never eaten meat. I'd only ever eaten fish or vegetables. But you do, you, you're challenging yourself to, you're challenging how your body adapts to it. So you're only doing it for a month. You love animals. You're going to eat vegetables again. I can't imagine you not having seen, steam broccoli at some point <laughs> and oats.
0: Yeah and so it's
1: kind of it's kind of a test we've been watching this thing with chris hemsworth in that's so called limitless and they put him through tests of his resilience so it's kind of a resilience test, whether it's fasting or whatever it is that you choose it's training your body to react to different conditions so i think it's like it's not that you're um not animal friendly but um, <laughs>
0: it's just but i think a, the other aspect to it the other aspect to it i think it's Again, you're probably the same, Lise. In fact, I know you are. It's a case of you want to get control of something. At the moment, with so many things happening and in life, be it, you know, the uh, cost of living crisis or the fact that certainly uh, my, for my own personal circumstances in amongst building work and all the rest of it, there's certain things you want to be able to control. And if you control, well, I'm going to con- I mean, it might be as simple as, I want to be able to control the, the temperature of my shower, for example. Right, I know and have complete control over that. And I know what I'm doing. Same with my diet. I know what I'm going to be eating today. And I have complete control over that. And it's there's a psychological thing side to it. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah control we're, freaks, we're control, I might say.
1: We're, we're control freaks and adrenaline junkies, is actually what an industry friend said to me in the week. Like, we're control freaks and we're adrenaline junkies. We like the rush of pushing ourselves.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oh, dear. So, yeah, in terms of the carnival diet, they're going like, okay, well. And the sketching isn't going so well. So, um it's the bit like that I, you must have the same list I'm sure you do uh, I, you get it a lot with um remember at school when you know you haven't done your homework and you've got this feeling inside you and you're going to, even when you go to bed and you, so I should be doing my homework right now but I'm so tired I could just lie here in bed <laughs> and I've got that thing and I, I can see my pens and my sort of sketch pad and I've got so much to do but I also need to do my sketch work and I do enjoy it there's a there's a nice element of Sort of it's psychological, a, mental switch. Sort of, you can just turn the volume down when you're sketching and when you're writing. Uh, and, and when you do, when sort of, you do
1: it, you feel so much better when you do do it, don't you? But I completely agree. You then become like the power of procrastination. Means, well, there's so much work to do. I can't do what my own. I mean, challenge Look after other people's work.
0: Better. Crazy, isn't <laughs> it? We're crazy. Human beings are sort of absolutely nuts. I'll tell you. Okay, so um, what else have you been at me because obviously you've had. Um, some massive changes at work with new studio moves. Tell us a bit more about that. How's it been going? You're two months in or so now?
1: Yeah, look, I was trying to think about what we've done since our last podcast. And then I remembered we actually did speak last week, but we didn't actually record anything. Um, so yeah, we've had, we've had over a month in the new studio. I love the new space. Um, I missed the view dramatically, but the new space is great. Like The flexibility of people coming in so many days a week. It's really good. And actually the team are adapting to it really well. Uh, I'm I'm loving it. I actually love getting off from driving to a retail park to go to a What's work the in biggest <laughs> change?
0: What's the biggest change you've noticed in this sort of cause you were obviously in the middle of Sydney looking over Sydney Harbour Bridge and the oh, Opera House even sorry, and you've now moved a little bit out, out out of Sydney.
1: Yeah, so we're kind of what 20 minutes out of the CBD and 20 minutes 15 minutes away from North Sydney. So you think about all the challenges of it's further out, it's not got a sexy view. But actually, what's really working so well is it's like a reboot. So it's like we've entered a fresh space. And look, the, the business was great and everything, but it's been in the same building for 15 years. To, just before I started, it was previously other businesses, and now it's become SGK. And I guess it never really rebooted even in that. So it feels like people always call us, our clients still call us now Mark and Anthem. Whereas in this new space, it's, this is the SGK space. And it feels like people talk to each other across the deployment department, the design department, the, you know, the proofing room. There's a lot more of people almost just making mates with each other. And it was there before, but it just felt a bit tired and a bit worn. I mean, the funny part of it is, is that Lego, and you know, my affiliation of Lego, has moved from Macquarie Park, which is where we've moved to, to our old building. <laughs>
0: so no,
1: and a office. swap all of this like right. Lisa we're moving to a place where Lego exists actually they've moved to where we used to exist
0: Christ <laughs> what was the reason for their move into back into the city did, did you found
1: out well, they've downsized so actually in our opposite way we've we've got a massively huge space um, and they've downsized they don't need anywhere near as big a space anymore or, or you know for whatever reasons it's not necessarily the creative hub it's literally just the Lego office but Um, interesting and quite a fun thing. I've also went to that um, digital conference with um, Chris Doe. Yes, so tell
0: me about that, that that sounds fascinating.
1: It was great, it was a good escape, two days um, over in Melbourne listening to a ream of about 20 speakers talk about the future of digital, where the industry is right now, it was called No BS. Um, So obviously it was uh, people saying exactly what they thought. Only industry professionals, probably about a thousand people that went, a lot of networking. Um so yeah it was an exhausting couple of days but it was great it was so good and obviously you know Chris went and we know he's a fan of the show and we're a fan of him so that was my um, nerd moment i had a great time
0: <laughs> And yeah, you caught up I, with Chris didn't you Did you have a coffee
1: with him I, I did, yeah well we didn't have a coffee but there were drinks at, there were drinks after the event so there were networking drinks it was a good opportunity just to catch up with him and i have massive respect for the guy so there's all these kind of vip booths at the back of the auditorium it was in it was in the forum which is normally for concerts and things Um, So they kind of set the stage for the speakers to go on and and all of the guest speakers had their own little booth in the auditorium area. And he came straight in. He went straight to the front, sat with the real people, shall I say, and watched (laughs) everyone else's talk. And I have massive respect for someone who gives everyone else who's speaking, you know, their time, their energy to just sit there and just watch and pay attention and be present. Massive respect. Mm.
0: Funny to think our industry has VIPs, doesn't it? you think about there's the yeah, so always those
1: of... people yeah but mark there's always those people you know them they're the ones that always used to get their face into design week because they were talking to the editor and things like that there's always those little pleats um and those circles and you know there were vip areas or vip passes for the event that you could pay more for to go to the networking talks and you know it's kind of like if you kind of if it's it's a, it's a bit forced, but the guy who ran it was fantastic, Jason Salton. I'll mention his name on the podcast in case he listens. He was great. I met some great people. I spoke to as many of the speakers as I could. They were great, and it was a good learning curve to think about. You know, there were some that did it better than others.
0: Yeah.
1: What the
0: key learnings you're going to sort of bring and take away to apply back at work?
1: Oh, like, uh, it, was fascin- it was fascinating to see how they engaged the audience and which ones captured the audience. And definitely I took notes from one or two of the speakers that went actually what they did well versus some people who perhaps didn't do so well or made it all about them or, or, you know, spoke about their journey way too much versus people who came on. Some people gave you a laugh. Some people actually had a great story to tell. It was quite interesting. There was a guy who works for Grab um, in Asia, which is the Uber of Asia. The way he spoke about the problems he solved were great. And, and actually consumer focused problems. There were, there were some really inspirational talkers there. That were, the humble ones were the best ones they just come on they talk to you they give you some tips and you kind of go this is great like they didn't make you want to be them they kind of inspired you to be yourself and actually I actually really That's like, like leader,
0: that natural leadership in there Very, yeah right, brilliant.
1: yeah loved it what about you Mark what have you been up to
0: well work-wise um yeah still like I said since we last spoke nothing's really has changed that respect still working with the same client I think. Um, one of the big bigger agencies. I, I don't know if it's right or wrong to mention the name, so I'll, I'll do, I won't do it for now. But they are global global design agency. So I'm helping them up some of their US clients. One of the one of the nice things about obviously both of our careers is having moved around a lot, having worked in different regions. Is in in that moving without real, realizing it, you start to pick up skill sets, and one of those skill sets is understanding multi regional marketing uh, and knowing. What can work in certain countries and what might be a sort of not work necessarily. Um, so yeah, I'm working with a US client on US brands, um, which are targeting US consumers. Um, and there's some similarities between the UK, but they are the US, a bit like the UK in many many areas, many categories of which we work in, they they are quite specialists. And this particular one's in the confectionery side of things and in the sort of their target markets or the target consumer, these things is sort of mid to late teenage years and so they're quite different from the teenagers that we sort of potentially might target in the uk so yeah there there are fundamental differences but it's quite nice the fact that because of the fact i've again worked in the states before and have a sort of good understand believe i have a a good understanding of how that market works Um, yeah so that's quite nice to me it kind of opens up your opportunities um, for work and you'll find the same. I'm the sure. people that
1: we talk to, as well, even, yeah, even the people that you talk to and the people that you network with, it, to your point, like it's such a completely different market. Confectionery would have been an interesting one to work on because you've also got this fight in your head, like anti-sugar. And we've done we've done it here. We've done confectionery recently here for what for our main client as well. And just getting into that, we looked around the world, so we always do the global trends and audits and things. But then also, if you've actually lived in those countries or been part of those countries, it does help that you've travelled to them. Because you can look online, but you need to, you kind of just, it's a different, you know, what the challenges are. And I guess it would be interesting designing for America because you've not, it's not just New York and Chicago. You've got your Bentonville's and your, you know, Arkansas's and your little backward towns. And it's a completely different mindset.
0: One of the fundamentals, and it always has been, I think, is the heritage brands. Those brands that have got their nostalgia-based products uh, and marketing, which... For most people, that's what they rely on to um, market themselves, really. At least they borrow. I mean, (laughs) you and I both know Aldi and Little very well, and they like to borrow insights um, from the leading brands. And so this is what happens in the other countries too. But every brand does it. And let's be honest, it's not just the Aldis and Littles. All the supermarkets do it to to a certain extent. But it's the same with the brands out there too. And the, the way in which they sort of ingrain these little sort of brand bugs into your brain to sort of understand and trying to relate to a brand that's perhaps been in your life for 20 30 40 years unless you've lived in that environment and understand that region, you, those brands to you would potentially get missed um DTS, it's absorbing it it's a soldiers on the front line so you want to use designers potentially who are in that market who understand it well and that's how, that's how i've sort of worked with it in the past but yeah, so we're working with the guys in the US. Um, then what else? Um, oh, b- new website is on the verge of being live. It very soon. Hopefully, just upgrading some of the imagery in there. But yeah,
1: it looks it looks really good, Mark. I got a sneak peek, and you it looks <laughs> really good. I'm super. I'm super impressed. Oh, thanks, Lee. <laughs> so you
0: know what the challenges is? Is as a designer, it's like when you when you're trying to do your own portfolio, you become your worst best and worst critic because you get so picky and what you should what you should and what you shouldn't put in there one of the key reasons for us to have this catch up today was also to lay up our next podcast and you touched on a brilliant subject
1: it's, it's that time of year again isn't it where we talk about trends and trends not being a fad or not like a pumpkin spice is cool at this time of year a trend that's shaped that's manifested from consumer behavior we had so many we talked about it during covid sustainability is obviously a top line trend they're the macro trends and how they filter down to the um, micro trends i love this kind of topic and i could one on but we won't not this podcast but uh, you know we both do quite a lot of design and we have within our career the food and drink so i kind of flicked your podcast and went, actually there's some insights for what's coming up in trends in food and beverage which is something that we're super passionate about from a health point of view. But there was also some ripples through there, some really great things that linked to sustainability, to authenticity, to optimism. Even that we spoke about, we did a whole episode on optimism, I remember, during the heart of the pandemic, when we were both on our, on our edge of kind of falling apart. And so I think there was some really good stuff. Within this great little mintel, like this was a snippet, but I think we're going to go wider and explore some more and come back with our next podcast and go actually based on these trends, here's some brand examples, here's some other stuff that's exciting us, but maybe we can just talk about one or two of the the kind of top line of what they were. Yeah. And that kind of got us excited.
0: What I found fascinating, listening to this, so the podcast is essentially about food and beverage trends for 2023. And when you start doing a bit of Google research on it, lots of people have come up with this, their top five, top 10 list of what they think is going to be happening over the next sort of 12 months in in these categories. Um, But stepping back is looking at the key drivers for these trends. And we all know that there are certain sort of global issues happening, which are going to have a massive impact on the way in which consumers think and the way in which they approach their purchasing habits. So, obviously, the cost of living, which is touching every part of the, the globe in terms of interest rates are going up, rents going up, mortgages going up, yada yada. So we're all sort of feeling the pinch. How do we react to that what happens? Of course we spend less and we look to um, become a bit more frugal in the way in which we sort of go about our lives. So it's how, how's that going to impact on things? So it's going to impact on, let's say for example, Nostalgic foods, people spending more time at home, remote working, that's having a big big, big impact too. Um, So the nostalgic foods is sort of people looking at sort of retro style cuisine, which is gonna have an impact on the foods in which you buy in store. Um, So key ingredients, what what are the sort of the foods that we we know from our past that we can rely on when we're at home that are sort of quite comforting? Um, That sort of, I, I found that world, and I find it fascinating, of course, not just the cost of living, but then um, you know, the war in Ukraine having an impact on sort of global, the global economy. So, yeah, those are the ones I do think have an impact on us.
1: I think I've got a little story to share based on. Some, we've got a project in the studio at the moment. And I think your challenge where you talk about it, like everything is going off in price. How do you sell something that actually costs more than its competitors? So we've actually got a brief in the studio at the moment, a really beautiful brief from one of our lovely clients to redesign a very well-known salt brand. And it's a structural brief. So we're going to design the salt shaker for a well-known salt brand. It's actually a UK brand, randomly. But we've ended up doing it here. We've worked with this with an amazing structural designer this week. I've been working with him. And, and the conversations we've had have been quite interesting because we've laid out brands like Heinz, like Marmite, like um like Coca-Cola, where they've got iconic shapes. Um, and the fight has been like, you know, and we went back and we presented some ideas to the client this week and, and to kind of put on the table to go, this is twice the price. This is $6 for a shaker. And actually you can buy a Walls one for $2. So you can buy an own brand, private label for a third of the price. How do you encourage people to trade up? So to your point earlier about how do you make this an iconic brand? It's the one mom used to use. It's the one whoever used to use. So you need to build that heritage into it. But there's also an economy crash so how do you kind of play it off I mean you, you need to also then that becomes the challenge of their marketing department to go recreate the outdoor experience in so you are saving more money than if you went to a restaurant and this might be the thing that you shake on top of your you know whatever that reminds you of being out but you're in so you cut there's tension points across there it costs more than its competitor or than its private label version or its healthy version or whatever but If you promote it, you brand it, you sell it, and you create it the right way, it becomes a whole brand experience within itself. Um, And I think they're the challenges that some of our iconic brands and our foods and beverages and things, they're going to have to tap into different emotions to know if I'm going to pay more, you've got to make me feel something worth paying more for. Or if I trade up on this, like where do you trade up and down? So I think to your point, it's a really interesting time for brands as to how they they touch on our emotions um, and create that experience.
0: It is about experience, but it's also about now. We also appreciate the fact that there are those moments when people want to treat themselves. Uh, and in these sort of days, years, months, potentially years of austerity, people are going to be looking to every now and again give themselves something as a bit of a pick-me-up and and treating themselves. So those are those moments where people think, you know what, even though I have a little bit of salt every couple of days or whatever, I'll just make sure it's quality salt and it's coming from the right source and it's sustainable and it's kind it's of ethical um you know side of the, of the business so I think that's that's quite key um what else is the finding the other thing which I, again i have exhausted too much so we'll be we're gonna have a whole podcast on it is the well-being aspect to the way in which we approach our foods I think is we both both you and I know very well but something that I find really interesting and it's, it's developing all the time is being control freaks that the art that we are is products which enable and benefit focus.
1: Yeah, nootropics and the um, the, co- the collagen and coffee and things like that. Um, the yeah, I, I was fascinated by that part as well, Marcus. Someone who is terrified of getting older and wants to biohack and neurohack everything. The things that kind of sustain your brain and your physical appearance and your, your heart health and all those kind of things. When they talked about, well, you know, Nest Cafe is developing coffee pods with collagen in. And you, you can get kind of DIY collagen, you can chuck collagen in your coffee, but the convenience aspect of something like that, your, to your point, nootropics, like I was looking at some really exciting, um, you know, entrepreneurial brands that are building over here earlier today, and, and you know, how they're crowdfunding the, and it, it, it's about, they might be lowering caffeine, but they're building ashwagandha or things like that. They're things we've seen before, but I think to your point, like, because we've been locked down so long, we all want and realise our health is so important. We all want to live longer and enjoy those experiences. So, yeah, the health thing was definitely one that I think we're going to have to dig into and find lots of really cool examples. I love the space race and I love the water ones.
0: <laughs> yeah, true. And, of course, the other one, of course, which we haven't sort of touched on just yet, and we've spoken about it before in the past, is um, THC or... Um, cannabis sort of infused foods and drinks. There's that in that space is growing all the time with, and the U- U.S. seems to be leading there, just partly because um, the way in which it's become legal in certain states. Um, so yeah, that's a really. I I have CBD drinks. Um, this month I'm not obviously because of carnivore, but normally I, I enjoy probably one of those one a day maybe, and I really love them. Um, and I do find them. They're so subtle in terms of the way in which they affect your your brain. Um, but I I, they, I can see the benefit to using them on a regular basis. Um, so, yeah, that point, that lays us up quite nicely for our next podcast, um, which we'll sort of, we'll get to recording in the next sort of week or so, hopefully on that one, because there's so much to look at. Um, and in terms of other Lise, I've got another one which I wanted to quickly touch on before we sign off, is the Adobe Pantone concern from a designer, especially. And I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this. So Adobe and Pantone seem to be parting ways in terms of w- working with each other for free, I think is the best way to put it, where we as designers have access to, we pay our Adobe license fee and we obviously get um, all of our licenses for our, the Adobe products. And Pantone has always been part of that, integrated into each one of those sort of bits of software. So Illustrator, InDesign, Photoshop. So now what's happening is Pantone have, have decided um, in someone's wisdom, is to start making it a subscription fee. So they parted ways with Adobe and you have to pay um, a fee and a sort of monthly fee or, or annual fee to access the Pantone library of colours. Now, of course, we all know that we use these as certainly if we work in print, Pantone is our bible in terms of our colour references. Without Pantone, we feel a little bit lost. What's going to happen is we all, we're all going to have to start, all designers are going to have to start paying a fee now. I think that's the challenge. Um, and people, now we're starting to look at alternatives to Pantone. Well, do we need to use Pantone? I said, what do you think? Because well, you've I've just got a couple of licenses I've got to pay for you. You within a bit SGK business, a massive business, if Pantone say, right, for every um, station you have workstation you have, you have to pay $15. That is a phenomenal amount of money on a monthly basis. So how a business can get a cope with something
1: like this? It is. And look, I didn't actually know very much about the story until you brought it to my attention. And I have since shared it with, with the team and, and the global team and everything. And to people who are listening who go, Well, what do you need Pantone for anyway? Well, actually, when we print things, even clients, you'll get a spec for a print spec, you're doing a packaging design, you get four colours plus two specials. Those specials are normally Pantone specs. So they're picked. So someone like, for example, Cadbury's purple would be a Pantone spec collar. So it can never go wrong. You're never going to pick up a bar of Cadbury's gold. It's not really the right purple. It'll be a Pantone collar. So I think that's where it's really going to create a big issue. People are just going to have to pay it. So I think it's an interesting thing. I'm, To be honest, our business has not raised any concern about it, which is strange to me. Um, there have also been... There was a, a guy online, Simon something it's called, who's recreated Pantone. So yes. you don't to have Pantone. He literally <laughs> ripped it off. And just, ultimately, it's, it's, what it's caused is a massive ripple in the industry and people going, how do we solve it? So whenever there's a challenge that comes along, if someone's going to solve it somehow, some way, we've not seen any impact on our business. And I assume in the short term, they'll just pay for the subscription. To your point, if it's per workstation, not everyone will have them. Because we're doing we are not just doing um, print-based design. We're doing digital design, which would eradicate the need for Pantones. You don't need Pantones for digital. You don't need it for anything online. It's just a color process. Um, I—it's interesting to see where it goes. Whether Adobe reduced the cost of their subscription so that you can then bolt it on—I don't know. I think it's a, Adobe by itself is stupidly expensive for a freelancer or an independent designer, um, and for for a business, for every single person to have a license. But you know, it's—it's it, what we use so. It's industry it standard, is. no one's come along to rival Adobe yet.
0: Um apparently it's been in the making. It's, this has been in the um in the framework for uh, the last 10 years when Adobe are you? I don't know if you've noticed it, I certainly have. Certainly the last five years. Every now and again you get certain Pantone colours you can't access. You might be working with someone who sort of this is the colour we're specking out for this particular brand. I don't what colours that's not coming up in my library, and you've got the most up-to-date library. And I think that's what's been happening over time. And I don't think it hasn't happened yet, but what's going to start to happen over the next updates within Adobe um, is every time you do an update and if there's a Pantone that it doesn't recognize or it's not so sure, it'll just pitch pitch it out as a black color. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's helpful. (laughs) It hasn't started yet, but I I believe it will start happening this month where you start to sort of opening up files and you lose your Pantone colors and they just come out as black blobs. Instead, so We're
1: just going to a whole load of emo-based designs coming out into the I know. World yeah, exactly. It, it is black.
0: fascinating. We, we, you touched on it in one of our previous discussions on subscription models and how that is where everyone is, the way everyone moving to. Um, and there's a, a cash flow system. It's brilliant. But if you're a consumer and it's suddenly thrown upon you when you haven't had to pay for it before, you well, pay for this now. I pay for Netflix. I pay for Spotify. I pay for Adobe and all these things. Everything is subscription.
1: And it's, it's interesting because I think subscription, as of last year, I just think subscription is the future. Yes, it's a, it's a way to have that consistent stream or revenue of your business, but I, I have massive tension points and I'm someone who I only subscribe to something if I really need it. So Spotify, Sport, because they show the football, super important to me, but I have like, I have massive issues with like, even Netflix now, I've introduced another package that downgrades you so you can watch Netflix with adverts. So it becomes on Netflix was always a subscription. And the point was that you don't have to have adverts and you can stream and watch what you want. They've now reduced, they've done a reduced version where you can have adverts. So does that then for the advertising industry, that's a massive opportunity, right? So all of our ITV and BBC, you know, we used to pay extra for the BBC license and you'd have ITV with the um, adverts in. So Netflix now is gonna have a lot of revenue stream coming from advertising. It's, it's fascinating where it's going to go next. I was tempted the other day to pay for YouTube because YouTube has always had adverts in unless they have a subscription, now you can remove the adverts. And I was tempted. But then to be honest, within our industry, we have to watch some adverts to understand what's going on. Like, you know, we all look out for the John Lewis Christmas advert and things like that we actually need to watch some of it, not because we want to watch it, but because we need to know how to hit consumers and what, what people are actually interested in and what kind of narratives um, are in there. But I, yeah, it's, it's fascinating that Adobe has done this. I love Adobe. So I think it's probably more of a Pantone lash back to go, we want more money. Um, but let's, I guess, let's see how it plays out. To your point, they're going to phase them out. I don't know how it's going to affect our business. It's primarily, we're built on a lot of packaging design and pre press. Um, so I don't know how, I did drop it into our leadership and our key. Um, industry people in our business chat and no one went oh my goodness we need to look at it so i assume
0: yeah it's a bit about something it's not happened yet it's happening and no one we don't know what the impact of it's going to be yet so um and i think you're right people are just going to have to sort of swallow it and think right there's an extra monthly fee or annual fee you've got to pay to access pantones because it it is industry standard but like everything at some point someone's going to come in and replace it with something which is bigger better Uh, and answers the sort of questions that we need answering and you don't have to pay 80 quid for a Pantone phone which is crazy sometimes I'm looking at mine now I don't know how much they cost and they used to say you need to replace your Pantone fan once a year because the colours fade, and no one ever did. And you got people using twenty-year-old Pantone fans. But,
1: but didn't you always used to get, as well as a freelancer, if you've been in a studio and they're clearing out the studio and they've got small Pantone books, if you want to? you'd be like, "I'll take them." They're like three thousand dollars worth of colour. <laughs>
0: yeah, I know. It's true. It's true. And but this is it. They, the the print houses and no everyone else who so they had also they've always had to justify in their budgets is every. And yeah, here you've got to upgrade your Pantone fans. Um, they, they used to be also to put them into um, safes. So not just to make sure people just steal them, but also to make sure they were kept out of light so they didn't get light damage. Wow, the world of designers, it's all changing. I guess the other in- impact of this as well is, it's i of, of late, even I used to, have to do a lot of my presentations to make sure that all my pack, packaging related design work was in CMYK. Now, because a lot of it gets shown to the client, uh, on screen and certainly via um, the likes of zoom and or even Miro, Miro, it's RGB so we're finding I'm finding that a later stage do we have to convert colors to RGB and you've got to keep reminding clients what you're seeing on screen right now is not going to be the vibrancy you're going to get when it's on shelf because it, it prints in an entirely different way, and or that- you see it in an entirely different way.
1: And that's when you get your little Pantone chip, don't you? And you hold it to your screen when they're like, Oh, we need to convert yes. this now. We need to spec the colours to make sure the client so gets true. what they saw on the screen. You're holding off a little pantone chart no. to your screen to go, is this the right yellow? Is there like a pantone you're always told do this?
0: not ever ever never do that? But I think everyone does, everyone does it. So yeah, because people just see it. But again, like we said before about the quality of then it comes down to the quality of equipment. If you've got a client manager, um I'm to say a brand manager at home in their home office environment working off a, a cheap PC laptop with an awful screen. And they're trying to sort of approve color specs off their monitor. You kind of get a bit scared. You think, have you got access to Pantones or can we send you a proof uh, at least? And no, in the interest of speed, we've got to keep this going. So, yeah, RGB, CMYK, it's like in the last few years. It's, it's, RGB seems to be the, win- <laughs> the winning format now to, you know, to save files out to.
1: We, we do so many meetings and presentations online now that, yeah, to your point, like people are seeing things and judging it based on the screen. We presented some um, challenger brand concepts to a client earlier this week, and he asked us to make them more blue or to go from like a blue black to a more blue so we made it more blue and we launched in and went looks like a school uniform now we need to go back to the blue black. <laughs> and ultimately for our big clients you kind of we, we run them all off on proofers and send them out so that you can you like check the proof is the right color and everything anyway but in terms of to your point when you're showing someone something on screen and they're like oh yeah it looks good and you have no idea what it looks like on their screen because it, their screen might be terrible or it might be a super hd screen so you never to... know
0: uh, yeah unless you ask them and then you feel like you're sort of getting in, into too many personal details like, what's your monitor, what's monitor? <laughs> so yeah but you're right yeah, but then it's added time with an interest of speed for those, those these projects to, to getting approved, printed out to then sent to the clients and making sure that they're actually it's going to be sent to their home and make sure the client's actually going to be home uh, you yeah, know you just so, so many things anyway Pantone and Adobe, that's a really interesting sort of area. So you're going to keep an eye on really to see what happens. Um, we end up, we're, I'm sure we're, both of us will be end up being $15 down every month.
1: <laughs> Potentially. We'll see where that is by the time we regroup.
0: Yeah, I think it's $15 a month or $90 for the year, rightly. It's $15. I've got $15 in my head. Maybe it's, I don't know. Whatever it is, it's a subscription fee of something we don't pay right now. We look forward to getting sort of pressing the record button on our, on our next pod with uh, the food and beverage trends for 2023 and getting into sort of the real meat of some of them. So we'll hopefully do that by the, before the end of our challenge, but good luck with the cold showers and the catching up with your writing.
1: Thanks, Mark. We'll get it done before Christmas. We'll get them trends out there.
0: Cool. <laughs> Catch you later, Liz. Thanks ever so much. bye on. See you, Mark. See ya.